Welcome to the official podcast of the Brewmasters Club, craft brews and geek news. Sit back, pour yourself a pint, and let's get into it. Now here's the founder of the Brewmasters Club and your host, Donnie Gallagher. Welcome everybody uh, to another episode of the Brewmasters Club podcast. This is the official podcast of the Brewmasters Club. This is called Geek News and Craft Brews, um, or back backwards, Craft Brews and Geek News. I don't know what it's called, but <laughs> we're here to bring you <laughs> we're here to bring you some uh, some national stories about beer, um, local flavors, uh, favorite geeky nuggets from the last week and a half or so. Um, and who better to talk about all this great content except for uh, the four of us? It would be myself, Donna Gallagher from Brewmasters Club. We have Mr. Ryan Roberts. How are you today, sir? Doing very well, guys. Glad to be here. Excellent. And Mr. Nick coming from Lakeland. How are you, sir? Doing well. Checking in well. <laughs> Fantastic. Last but not least, we have Mr. Mert Dane. How are you? I'm doing well, guys. What's going on? Good. Well, just another week, guys, uh, as you're all well aware. So we're going to uh, go ahead and kick it off and get straight into it. Uh, the first uh, kind of story that we have, you know, I, I spent some time talking with the guys this weekend, of course, uh, about some different stories. But the first beer story that we found that was actually uh, sent to me from a friend of mine. I don't know if you guys saw this, but there is a it's actually started about nine months ago. There was a, a brewery set to open in Ybor City here in Tampa. That was a, a blend of two really cool things. It was, of course, craft beer and bands um it was a two million dollar project that transformed one of ebor and if you're not familiar with ebor it's tampa's like most historic hipster district so it's it's really a cool place to hang out um if you like cigars and you like uh, craft beer and uh you know great nightlife um but this particular project again was two million dollars it was a 120 year old building that was transformed to be this giant if you're familiar with um hard rock uh, or uh, house of blues kind of similar thing where it's got that like real rustic feel but it's still very cool very hip very modern um it's about ten thousand square foot and it's located right downtown in ebor um on 1901 north 15th street so it officially will open here very soon but they're actually now just kind of getting all the permitting in line and things like that um guys i brought this up because y'all know ebor pretty well um, Ebor is known for being that kind of hipster area it's got music it's got culture it's got a lot of great things Dane, what do you think about bringing a place to this kind of scale to downtown Ebor where it's got these bands and these brews and it's really not just a craft brewery, but it's more of a, a music venue, a music destination. I know I don't know how you are in the concerts, but do you have any thoughts about having a, a blending a brewery and a, and a band house like that? I think it'll be good. I, it kind of reminds me of like a house of blues. That's exactly what I was saying. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And like Myrtle Beach or something. So I think it's a cool thing. Ebor you know, Ebor is a, a mixture of, of different things. You know, living there in Tampa, I've been there maybe three times, and the first time it was okay, and then the second time it got a little scarier, and then the third time it was like, what am I doing here? Have you gotten stabbed so yet, though? I, I <laughs> never got stabbed by, by a hobo or anything, so we're good there. <laughs> but for Ebor, for I think it's good because people are, are at Ebor at all times. Yeah. So it's a good spot. It's a cool uh, venue, I think. And it's something that I would definitely check out. Yeah, I no, I totally agree. I think it is a, it's a cool spot. It's a, it's a, it'd be a great venue. That's all I'm thinking too is House of Blues. Cause I, I go to the House of Blues in Orlando all the time. I've seen countless bands there, man, that is just like the best place to see a concert. So if they can just scrape off a little bit of that, I think it would really bring a lot to that area, a lot to Ebor. Um, I just think it'd be really fun. 
Nick, I know you don't have a ton of, of time that you spend in Ebor, but what do you what do you think about something like this? <laughs> yeah, you're you're one hundred percent correct. I don't spend a ton of time in Ebor. Those kind of places just really kind of hard for me. Um, you know, I'm not really big into the music scene, and I uh, uh, <laughs> I could if they could just uh, well if they get rid of the music scene, then it's just a bar. So that's not that doesn't really work here. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I guess they need something like that, like they need more parking. So <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, Ryan, did you have any any thoughts about that? I mean, again, it's kind of a neat blend. I think it's kind of interesting. What do you think about opening up something like that on such a such a scale? It would be the first time they've got really something that's focused on both bands and you know small craft brewery. So are we talking about you know national acts coming there like what you would have at a House of Blues? Are we talking about local bands or state bands? You know not not you know what type of bands are we talking about? I guess I need to kind of get that picture in my head before we start talking about that. You know so or, like or, a. So a house of Bru- house of blues is a nationally syndicated you know kind of venue like this. But what I would imagine is going to come here is any mix between what hits the amphitheater, you know, they're right there off seventy five, and then um, Skipper Smokehouse. So I would assume that you know on the off weekends or whatever it'll be smaller acts, sure. But I wouldn't be surprised that the names they dropped in this article were three eleven, Sublime with huh. Rome. I mean, some of the bigger acts that 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 you know from that grungy kind of pop rock or whatever, you know, they they it could really vary. So I don't, I don't think it would be anything out of the question to, to get a bigger act there. Now, now that I, I like the idea because it can really not only draw a crowd for, you know, the, the bands and things of that nature, but also expose a lot of people to craft beer if they've not been exposed to craft beer or get people to come out. Because one thing that I find when I go to a bar and it's not a craft brewery or something like that, it's really hard to find a craft beer because not a lot of places sell them because they're still sticking to like what sells most of and also watch the music. So I think blending the two worlds together, getting people to come for more than one reason is a really good thing to have a really good experience. So if they can find a way to also take the culture on that's down there in, in Ebor and turn it into a more, I wouldn't say family oriented, but just a better culture at late at night and get more people to come down there. That would be a win as, as well. So I'm all for it. I hope it works. Yeah. Well, like, like you kind of hinted on, you know, the culture that they have there at Ebor is already very music centric. It's very music um, heavy. They've got a, a ton of different uh, bands and, and things that go on there. And a lot of those are indie or, you know, kind of punk stuff right now, just because of the the culture, but I think it's Ebor is the perfect place for something like this, and I think it's really ripe for the you know for the taking in terms of uh, a new venue like this coming in that can really make people feel like that grungy kind of house of blues feel. So I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be very cool. Definitely, let's uh, let's go there when it opens. <laughs> yeah, we'll go see a show. I, I would love to see 311, man. I haven't seen them in concert in a long time. Donnie, I, th- I think you I think you touched on it a little bit. You know, a lot of country stars that play at the the big venue at the amphitheater. Mm-hmm. After the show, they'll play like a smaller show at the roundup room or whatever. Yeah, right. And I'm thinking, you know, big names, once this play starts rolling, I think the bigger names after they play it at the big venue, I think that's a spot they would hit for like the late night field. So I, yeah. I think it's a good idea. Yeah. It's going to be awesome, I think. I think so too. And maybe when you're down, maybe we'll catch a show. Cause like I said, anybody, you know, I'm sure that they're going to go, they're going to go loud and proud with this. Cause uh, it's, it's a pretty substantial investment, but, but again, with the Ebor being right there to the, to the refurbishment of downtown Tampa, 
you know, man, it's, I don't know where that, I don't know where that line's going to stop. And this kind of goes into the greater economic development of downtown Tampa. Like where, where will that line be drawn? I'm not sure, but you've got all that money coming in there. You've got Mosey moving downtown. All this kind of stuff is just going to bring nothing but bucks to Tampa. So wait, Mosey moving downtown. Yeah, that's what they're, they're moving right into channel side. Last I heard, that's what the plans are. What? But, but again, it all, it all, the backbone of all of that is that Riverwalk Park that that basically bridged the gap between that channel side area, all the way up to that. If you remember the port where it is, and all the way kind of to the north to where the Selman starts and, and crap. That's that's Ebor. So I mean, that's where I think they're they're that whole re- revitalization place is, is going to be. So it's going to be an exciting time the next five, you know, eight years. But that's awesome. Yeah. No, it'd be cool. So do you guys have any final comments, Nick? You got anything on that? <laughs> no, unfortunately not. I, I, like I said, I didn't spend enough time down there. I think, uh, I think something like that would be cool. I mean, right now I think the closest thing we have is either like a, a you know, crappy little bar or perhaps somebody firing up guitar hero with all their craft beer friends. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's not as good for stabbing, though. Not no. when you do it like that. <laughs> I mean, it's better if we could bring our entire families to go get stabbed down there. So. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, my God. Awful. No one gets stabbed in children's parade. It's during the day, for Pete's sake. <laughs> Got a little so tiny moving... <laughs> Oh, jeez. All right, we're going to. So to uh, to move on to the next story that I have, um, this is going to be a little bit more dry, I guess, but. Uh, what I, I came across again, this was given to me from a friend of mine, was a uh, the brewers break. So it was how the craft beverage modernization is happening across the United States here uh, and eventually the world, of course. But it's basically about tax reform and the way that this may ease um, or you know add to the burden of compliance in terms of craft breweries. Basically, um, it's just a bunch of stats and figures. I thought they were pretty interesting to to hear and to talk about. And so I just want to kind of relay those over to you guys. And then if you have thoughts or anything that you want to chat about with it, you know, I welcome it. Um, picking up with the end of 2015, there are 4,100 breweries in the United States. That is amazing. First off, it's the highest number that we've had in the history of the nation. Um, so that narrowly beats a record dating as far back over a hundred years to 1873 when nearly every neighborhood had its own brewery. Now, why was that? Because you couldn't go to a 7-Eleven or, or, or a Publix and pick up a six-pack of your favorite beer from Chicago or Colorado or South Tampa. You had to literally brew it yourself or else you were just, you know, effed. So it didn't really, it didn't really uh, matter where you got it from as long as you could walk down the street and get another one. Um, the next kind of stat that we had is that the, the Brewers Association, which is basically a craft beer trade organization, announced that the U.S. had surpassed 4,600 breweries for the first time in history. Now, that is since that, that record that was set in 2015. So there's even more breweries now that were there just, you know, just about a year ago. So fast forward to today, the numbers just keep growing. And the independent brewery industry has over 175-plus brewery companies that produce between 15,000 and 6 million barrels of beer every year. I mean, just think about how much beer that is. Could, could anyone honestly fathom six million barrels of beer? I would feel like Scrooge McDuck at that point. Just swimming in a giant <laughs> vat of beer. <laughs> Crazy. That's a lot of beer. That's a shitload of beer. Um, comprised of that is, is over 2,400 microbreweries um, that produce less than 15,000 barrels per beer each. 
And then you've got 1,600 brew pubs that sell more than 25% of their own beer on site. So it's all these kind of different breakdowns. Um, but the interesting part of this is that this tax reform would kind of give little breaks to these guys that would just kind of fuel their their economic growth and, and their sustainability. Because as we've all talked about, you know, over time and over the, the last few years, beer has brought this immense economic growth to anywhere it touches. So if it's the state of Florida, which we celebrate with Florida Craft Beer Day, if it's the nation, if it's Colorado, you know, no matter where it is. Um, these independent small breweries are, are employing 120,000 120, full-time and, and part-time employees, generating well over $3 billion in wages. So it's just fantastic. It's just a fantastic time to be in beer. Um, and all of these breweries and wages and salaries and jobs and, and commerce is creating $2.3 billion in taxes, just in taxes annually. So, you know, hats off or big hand to craft beer for, for just doing its part. But um, this this act should do a, a lot of cool things for the little guys specifically. It'll make life a little bit easier. Um, so any domestic, we, we talked about this last episode, I think what makes a brewery, craft brewery, what makes it a microbrewery, what makes it, you know, whatever. Um, this new regulation, or excuse me, this, yeah, this new regulation would relate to um, each brewery that produces less than two million two million barrels of beer a year would pay $3.5 on the first 60,000 barrels of beer. So that is literally cut in half from what the current tax rate is. So could you imagine like a craft life or um, a big storm, you know, which is currently in that, in that kind of wheelhouse, you know, what, what would, what would a half and Ryan, again, I'll look to you as the business guy. What would the, what would a half, a half tax break, a half, you know, cut, what would that mean for your business if you could literally cut your expense for this piece of it in half? Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're doing that much or, or producing that much, what's it, less than 2 million barrels, I mean, even a small place like that, it's going to create extra revenue for that business. It could mean that those $5 beers that we were having that night stay at $5. I mean, any time a business can get some sort of break, in what they have to pay out before the consumers actually, or look, us, the consumers, the drinkers can, uh, you know, even get a taste. It, it makes them feel more empowered. You know, uh, as a business owner, you feel better about what you're doing because you're, you're not looking at cost all the time. I mean, you're still looking at cost. You have to, but it's a, it takes a little bit of that pressure away in that sense, in that frame of mind. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's nearly half. So, yeah. I mean, well, that is half. So, um, yeah, I think that's a that's a good thing. I hope it I hope it really helps, and I hope it passes. So, well, think think about it like this, and this is just using the data. And then, Nick, I'm sorry, I'll go to you in a second. Based off 2014 and the data that was gathered there, that's an estimated 37.5 million dollars per year. So that that is all that extra income, you know, that they can spend, that we can spend, that the brewers can spend, that these guys that are working there can spend. I mean, it's just it's just extra bucks. But Laos, did you have a did you have a comment on that, man? Logger powered delivery trucks. Logger. So the beer t- pipeline wasn't enough for you. Nope. We was, we would take those extra barrels and we would funnel them into to you know, some sort of gas gas fire and. Uh, you know, from there, we'd have all of the delivery trucks running on beer. Uh, no, uh, what I honestly think would be uh, they'd have a little bit more budget for some, some silly things like uh, perhaps some more gimmicky type stuff. I mean, I think that'd be great. They'd be able to further the brand 
not I mean even if they just maintained where they're at right now in terms of uh, in terms of production wise they'd at least be able to do some of the other things that some of the bigger breweries can do so I think it'd be great really uh, develop their business yeah yeah no it would certainly be helpful so I um I, I think that's fantastic and I'm just excited to see what, what will happen there. Dane, did you have any thoughts on a, on a tax cut like that? I mean, how much value that would bring. I and mean, we always talk about this, this stuff. I just wonder, you know, what, what are the possibilities of something like that? Yeah. I mean, to put it in perspective, I think the numbers are right now, $7 for the first 60,000. Right. So if you do the math, that's what $420,000 that they would have to invest in just barrels alone. If you cut that in half, what's that? 210,000. With $200,000, <laughs> there's so many more things business would be able to do. It, it's, yeah. it's uncanny. And so, that's what it is. It's on, the, it's on that first batch. It's on that first batch. So like those, those are the days when you need those extra pennies, you know? Yeah, so if, if you know that, hey, we got, a, we got a short amount of money we, have, we can use for these first 60,000, the heck out. Yeah, right. Get them done. Spend the money on producing better beer. You know, better beer, better business. Yeah. So Just, I'm all for it. Any anytime the small um, the small guy can, you know, get another penny or whatever, I'm all for it. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's great. You get an extra income. You can hire better brewers. You get more passionate staff. You get a better product. You get a better following. You do better for the economy. You do better for yourself. You do better for the community and those around you. It's just, it's you know, it's, it's a no-brainer. So, um, I, and and that goes with every small business there is, not just yeah, it's, breweries, but yeah, it's it's no pattern that's unique to beer. It's just that beer, beer is the one product that you can taste the difference. You know, <laughs> it's, you can you can hold you can hold two widgets in your hand. One might be made of different material, but when you actually have a beer in your hand, you can taste if it's if it's better than the other one, you know, and that's, that's where I think the, the difference is. So, 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 I mean, I, hopefully not going too much further down the, the list here, but um, for the craft breweries that are producing more than 2 million, are, are we going to get to that? Or can I go ahead and bring, bring this up? Cause I have, no, I have a thought process. So yeah, I, I don't know how many there are out there, but what would you say cigar city does or like a, you know, a Tampa brewing co what, what would you say they end up doing a year? What do you think? I really don't know. I want to say it was over a million barrels, but I I couldn't I couldn't tell you with any honesty okay. because it's been a while since I did their tour. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. So I mean, they're they're pretty big, well-established companies. They're expanding and things like that. And we know Cigar City very well. We talk about that one a lot. So I was just wondering because it says that the ones that are producing more than two two million barrels per year are actually getting taxed at eighteen dollars a barrel, which on the negative end it seems to me that they would actually be, well, I guess that's the current rate too, but they would actually be helping offset the reduction in cost for people that are doing less than 2 million. So there's not really much of an incentive to grow beyond that point. And I guess my conclusion that I draw there is if you're a large company like your, you know, uh, Miller and, 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 and Bud and all that, you're still going to brew more than 2 million barrels a, a year because you have the ability to. Whereas the craft breweries might say, you know what, we're just going to stick right here down at this level and not really try to compete with those other beer companies. I guess I'm like getting that conclusion kind of drawn there because $18 a barrel compared to 350 a barrel is uh, quite a big jump. 
Yeah, well, if you could, so if you could, Dane, while we're talking, if you could look up what what, um, what Cigar City does produce on an average year or, or any brewery that we've talked about in the past, I mean, Sam Adams or, or Sierra Nevada, that you know, our sponsor, anything like that would be great. <laughs> um, just joking. Um, but the idea is that it's kicking up from what was $16 a barrel uh, above that right, 60,000 okay. to 18, to 18 bucks a barrel. So, so yes, that is, you know, that is more money, but at that point, I, I think it's, it's like the, the, and I don't know which politician, you know, exactly would have this in their wheelhouse, but it is kind of milking the rich to support the poor at that point. Cause you're trying to say, Hey, Ryan's brewery wants to really jump up their game. Well, that's great. Here's a little incentive. Do that. Once you get to, I mean, sixty thousand to two million. If you look at the numbers alone, you're you're talking, you know, peanuts to yeah. elephant. I mean, it's it's very much different. So, I don't think that is a particular threshold that's necessarily going to deter anyone from saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, let's let's calm down off the two million barrels." Um, but I see what you're saying. It is an increase there, but again, it, it happens to bring up the little guy. Um, when, what do they say? When when water rises, all all ships. I don't know what that is. But. <laughs> all ships rise yeah you got a good nautical reference for that come on man you're you're, you're the nope. just it just a beard for it really all oh, right when all beards when rise, the, gets hard, the water overflows i don't i don't know <laughs> you, you see that i i guess that's where i was just thinking like what you know what's built in to to keep it to keep it growing and 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 um surpassing you know uh everything else that's going on out there so well from 60 from 60 to 2 million uh in terms of product delivery i I think that's a healthy rate for you to say okay listen if we don't have our shit figured out then we're not going to be able to survive at the higher rate so i think that little boost to get you going is going to say okay listen let's really figure out what what we're going to produce here and then they start producing i think that's how it should be and i think this is a good way to do it now is it the best way for, you know, the U.S. economy to handle their methods of taxing the rich and giving breaks to the poor? You know, that's not this discussion. But Dan, no, did, you, no, did, you, did you find any information for us, Dan? Uh, that's a negative. Negative. <laughs> well, we can that's always negative. Just... But, hey, fun fact. Cigar Brewing is owned by a company that owns Oscar Blues and a couple other um, breweries. So I think that – may put them in a category just based off who they're owned by in a category where they probably spend a little bit more money than dollars for the first 60,000. Well, you, we, we talked about their alliance, like in literally episode two, remember that Oscar blues, cigar city, a couple other guys, he did cigar city, Utah. Yeah. They did that to avoid a, a deal that was made. That was uh, AB was trying to buy them out and they said, well, you know, screw it. They're AB had like two days left in their contract. They didn't fulfill it. They didn't sign it. They didn't do anything. And that, that deal literally expired the next day. This deal with Oscar kind of came up. And so we've been, yeah, we've talked about this a couple of times, but either way, you know, it's, it's interesting. And yeah, I don't know what their current volumes are, but um, it still is a, it's a pretty cool topic. And I thought it was, it was pretty interesting for us to, to chat about on the show. All right. Anything else on that guys? No, I'm good. That's, that was uh, brilliant. So I'm good. So the last piece I have is an article from the Tampa Bay Business Journal that I found, and it was about the beer drinking habits in Tampa Bay, Florida. Um, this also expands to a little place called Lakeland there, Mr. Lousman. 
I don't know if you got a chance to check this out, but as you look at the map, it's interactive and it's actually color coordinated. And it's, it's bizarre because where you've got the highest concentration of beer drinkers is right here by, uh, by my house, of course. But besides that, the surrounding area here in Lando Lakes, and then right in that south Tampa area over to that, the, the fancy part where downtown St. Pete is, is all beet red. Um, so they've drank uh, more than 108 beers per household in the last six months. That's why I said I can see my house from here. <laughs> but that's just that's just on my app. The other thing is, Nick, where, where in relation to Lakeland are you? Would you say North Lakeland, South Lakeland, East or West? Actually smack dab in the middle. <laughs> okay. Yeah. The middle's a little blue, but your friends in the South there are beet red. <laughs> Yeah, that that that's understandable. Yeah, it's a little bit more of the uh, um, there's some restaurants there, some things of that nature, and you know, and a whole bunch of drunks. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> we, it's, you know it is what it is, man. It's Tuesdays hard for everyone, man. That's true. Tuesdays are the worst. <laughs> uh, well, I just thought again, this is kind of cool. So when you guys get a minute, check it out. The other kind of cool areas on this, um, and it's, it's great visual for radio. Um, but basically, the the beaches are also a little uh, a little cherry red, which is interesting, considering that most of our beaches are you're not supposed to be drinking on them. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's really the household. So you know what what's really at fault here? I don't think anybody. I think it's just fine. Um, but it was also uh, it's very interesting statistics to look at, and it's a nice uh, it's a nice little piece. I'll throw it up on the channel, or maybe I'll flash some of the. Stills for it when we're, we're actually putting this up on YouTube. Guys, anything else in the beer news before we move on to app news, local news, and then what are you drinking? Anything else? Yeah, I'm going to throw in this little tidbit. Yeah, man. Uh, kind of going back to what we were talking about. Now, this is back in 2012. In 2012, um, Boston Beer Company, or Sam Adams, uh, they brought in over $580 million in revenue to bring in $664 million in 2013, I, I don't know the, the numbers for that. This was kind of a, a rough estimate. Uh, and now that translates to roughly per barrel revenue of $213. So, yeah, they're spending $18 per mm -hmm. barrel, but they're making $200 off of that. So I think that's, that's pretty good revenue. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> <laughs> Just to put it in perspective. Yeah, beer lovers out there yeah well and when you start breaking down the numbers like that man it does it does get pretty pretty interesting because they're it's a shitload of beer moving around you know on just how it is and, and that was and that was three years ago so who knows where it's at now so and i while you were looking that up um what i just found out was that cigar city so they answered that question in 2014 now this is two years old and this is before their second brewery second production line the second rendition of their canning line um, a lot of different stuff has changed since then, but they were putting out 44,000 barrels in 2014. So if you could imagine half the revenue from that going, they could have increased their production, their brewery, their canning line, all this kind of stuff much quicker than they did with a tax break of, of nearly yeah, 50%. Um, How many thousand was it? It was 44,000 barrels in 2014, wow. which seems small okay. for being such a large brand. Now with this this deal with Oscar Blues and all that stuff, you can only imagine that they're going to you know exponentially grow. So it'll oh, be yeah. interesting. It'll be interesting. You know, summertime, springtime next year, 2017, we circle back and see what these guys are are, are cranking out, and I guarantee it'll be an impressive impressive ass number for sure. Yeah. 
Happy for yeah. yeah, no, it's great. And that deal itself was valued at, at $60 million. So good for Cigar City, man. Yeah. Wow. So the reason that we're here talking to you guys, and we've, we've already handled this a couple of times, um, is that we are a, um, a crowdsource community-driven app that helps shape uh, kind of where you're going in your beer journey, uh, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink with the food that you already eat, and try to get you out of your comfort zone into something new or something fun. Um, with that being said, we take this kind of segment here called What Are You Drinking? What Are You Gonna Drink? And we kind of uh, influence each other to, to challenge, to try something new, try something different, at least talk about something that maybe not be new or different, but something that you do love. And why do you love it? So um, who's got a beer in hand? Ryan, you want to kick us off? I would love to kick you off tonight. Uh, <laughs> kick us off, actually. So I'm not a fan of variety packs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, too much. Uh, not a fan of variety packs, but I saw this the other day and I was like, all right, I got to see what Sam Adams is up to these days and picked it up. A lot of ones that I can't show you cause I drank half of them already. Not tonight, but, uh, <laughs> I say, were, you, were you able to hold off when drinking them all or no? Yeah. The two, my two favorites, my two favorites. So I've actually got another one on, on, uh, in the hole. So, um, got the hoppy red ale. Very, very good. Very bold, flavorful. It's got the good red mixed. It's a, basically a red IPA. You, you, you can't get any better than that. comes in at uh, 5.7%. And then this one, brilliant lager. It's the toasted caramel. Well, actually, uh, well, box. I, I don't know. Uh, very good. It's got a lot of caramel flavor or caramel, however you want to say it. It's very flavorful. They also have a maple one as well. So here you go. For all those that can see, if you can't see, go out and buy a box. You'll you'll see it then. Um, I, I saw that one. I, I I wasn't sure, like I said before, if it was going to be real mapley or not. It it's it's got a weird finish, but I mean, for something that's out of the ordinary, I mean, I think that that's what makes craft beer craft beer. Uh, it actually comes off pretty good. It's a, and for a lager, I, which I don't like lager, but I don't like a lot of lagers. I thought it was really good. So definitely got to try that one. Now, this one is not your average beer. This is actually a crafted water. And it's from a company called Truly. Comes in at 5%. And this one's with a hint of pomegranate. It's spiked sparkling water, but it's actually a crafted water. So it's actually a handcrafted beer water, however you want to look at it. Um, if you're a health person and you want to try to cut back on some of the higher calorie counts throughout the weeks, this one comes in at 100 calories with only one gram of sugar. So, you know, rather than drink a beer, if you want to be a little fresher on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, go and grab one of those. It's uh, really refreshing, but they do go down quickly. So that's, uh, that's what I've got tonight. That was the, I think it was like our first episode. I was talking about the hard, the hard soda water, whatever that I tried. It was yeah. like, um, it was not truly though. It was a different brand, but I really liked it. The black cherry one was, man, really good. It didn't taste like booze at all. It was, pretty good <laughs> yeah it's almost i mean it's deceptive because you're you don't think you're drinking anything alcoholic and then all of a sudden you're too deep and you're like whoa what yeah knocked in your ass yeah that's what happens mr mr louse man what do you got for us so today uh, i have a uh, something that I, I again i thought it was a little on the rare side i'm starting to learn that it's not but um i have the red hook esb yeah I'm bitter it, well, it, it hardly, um, that's you surprised me, man. 
<laughs> well, and I thought I was gonna I thought I was gonna be in for a little bit of a struggle here because like you said, it's it's supposedly very bitter to one hundred percent barley malt. Um so uh five point eight percent um ABV. However, um the the label kind of threw me off, like you said. Uh the label reads extra special bitter ale. And quite honestly, I'm not getting that much of a bitter, uh, bitter taste from it. So, I mean, <laughs> I, you can definitely taste there's a lot more barley than most, which uh, it actually came out pretty good. Uh, I really, really did like it. It's a little, little on the sweeter end of things for me, but uh, and, and not really that bitter. <laughs> I think there should be a comma somewhere in the label, just extra special comma bitter ale. So, I mean. <laughs> That's, that's about it, but I mean, it might be better, but it might not. <laughs> with a question mark or like a semicolon, I don't know. Just you know, either which way. I think the label's a little misleading, but uh, very delicious. Uh, based out of Seattle, Washington, so nice. real good brew. Very good. A really good red ale or a red uh, Red Hook makes a really good red beer. Um, I have yet to try that one, but it looks pretty good. I'll have to try it. Are you saying that because I'm ginger? Nope. Absolutely. All day. <laughs> all about you <laughs> mr dane did you have anything this evening yeah so i'm actually watching my calories and i, I probably should have had what ryan's got there grab the a truly the sparkling yeah. beer or, <laughs> little, little baby drink <laughs> um, yeah this this guy doesn't have any any uh cold beverages in the fridge unfortunately but i i did succumb to peer pressure for the show and it's it, not beer. Mm. Uh, got some, got some moonshine here. So <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know you guys probably saw me take a shot. So um, <laughs> probably, probably one more shot and I'll, I'll be done. But piggybacking off of Ryan again, he's he's the man of the show, I guess for for me today. But the Sam Adams variety pack I saw in the grocery store, and I'm gonna be picking that up very shortly. You will absolutely That's love it. In, Absolutely. So looking forward to it. Good man. Yeah, good, well, man. Good. good. Well, um, I was just trying to look it up. So my good friend, you know, with your little old smoky moonshine, it's got about 60 calories per shot there, my man. So just saying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm, you're not that, to, I'm going to be you're up not to that far off. You know, it's it's the the apple pie, so I'm sure there's some Ooh. sugar. Oh yeah, somewhere. yeah, it's so. even worse. It's <laughs> even worse. So who are you kidding? Next time, just grab a beer, dude. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. What I have today? No, no, no. Grab it truly. Stop pushing <laughs> that crap. What I have today is uh, is the Goose IPA. My lovely Goosh. wife bought bought me. She I came home to a to a lovely surprise, and she said, "Hey, look, I got you good beer this time," and um, it's the Goose IPA. So. Uh, though, though these guys, uh, you know, are or at least once were a craft brewery, they are now owned by AB. But that doesn't change the fact that that this Chicago born and bred beer, um, it, it really is good. It's about six percent alcohol, and it is probably one of my one of my more favorite go to um, IPAs, just because it's great. Uh, you gotta love the logo, you know, Chet. You know, our good buddies in Chicago. So every time I drink a Goose Island, I always think of Chet. It has 55 IBUs, and it's it's got about an 86 on on uh, Beer Advocate. So I honestly love this beer. It's one of those, Ryan, if you remember, and, you know, we'll talk about this uh, in a few weeks, but when we go real deep in IPAs, you get those piney, real citrusy, real floral ones. 
Um, this one is one of those real piney ones. So it gives you that little bite on your tongue that kind of sticks around for a while. But it's yep. great. It's great with spicy food. It's great with um, really flavorful dishes. It's good with stuff like that. So I just um, I love IPAs and I really do enjoy a nice, consistent um, beer and Goose Island amongst any others, you know, many others uh, does make a good product. This is just one that I do happen to really enjoy. So tonight I'm drinking the Goose Island um, and I'll, I'll, I'll go back to it always. It's a nice staple. So I don't know if you guys have had that before. Oh, yeah. So, uh, it's a great beer. Top five favorite beers right now. Yeah, Goose Island IPA. Yeah, it's good. How much goose per volume are we talking there? How many geese per volume? How many gooses? Uh, dang geese, you know. So if it's got a 55 IBU, I can only imagine how many IB goose. I can't even say. I just can't even say. You're killing me, Lance. That's terrible. He just Here's worst. something for all of us to look out for, too. Another one that Goose makes is they make a Bourbon County and it comes out every so often. It's a it's a high alcohol beer. If anybody can get their hands on it when it's released, I don't know. Or do the research. We should definitely share that on this podcast because those two combined would be, they're just incredible. But uh, Goose makes a great IPA, and they make a great Bourbon County as well. Really, Bourbon good. County. So what is it? what is the actual style of it? So uh, I'm trying to remember now. I had it when I was working at O'Brien's, and. Um, I mean, you definitely get full, rich flavor of, of that bourbon barrel. It's definitely stout. I mean, we're talking almost is it like, like a, a Cascale, or what is it? Uh, I, I, no, they, well, no, they had it in the – in, in, in the no. It's just so flavorful and rich, but you can only have one glass. You can't even finish a glass. It's, it's, it's so rich. Um, I'm trying to remember, but it's definitely a stout – uh, of sort, it's just incredible. They yeah, Bourbon, Bourbon County brand stout is what it's called. Yeah, it's right. probably one of the stoutiest stouts I've ever had. What so. a good describing word. <laughs> when it's stout, I mean, just go for it. So it's so it's it's available <laughs> in winter. It's got about it's got about a thirteen percent alcohol by volume, and it literally has a one hundred percent score. So uh, apparently, Ryan, you're not alone in thinking that it's an amazing beer. It's um, a hugely awesome beer. So interesting. Well, we always ask, "What are you gonna drink?" And I think I just found something I'm gonna drink. So I'll let uh, I'll let or I'll ask Joe next time I see him if he's gonna get it again this year. And yeah, we'll man. Ask for O'Brien. That's what we'll do. Yeah, so. I'm down. I'm down anytime. But see, this is what it's all about, man. We all experience different things. It was the Miami beer that Laos had. You know, this yeah. style sounds pretty good. Uh, Dane securing that sponsorship with Sierra Nevada. I mean, it's what we're all about, dude. So it's really, it's really good stuff. Just get that truly shit out of here. I don't want to see it anymore. Yeah, that's good because it's see through. So yeah, it's worse than a like, I tell you, man, it's, it's like, just like pomegranate water, man. That's all it is. Like you can probably, you can probably ice somebody with that thing. Oh no, we're not going back to that. Man, those, those are terrible days. Oh. I tr- I truly don't want to start that again. <laughs> so that kind of wraps up um, the discussion about the beer stuff. You guys, I gave each of you a little bit of homework. Did you guys get a chance to um, to tune into the epic, uh, let's see, galactic? Um, mon- mon- yeah, right, okay. <laughs> P- piece, of, piece of geeky news that happened this week. It happened a mere two days ago, but it seems like um, a few light years 
away. Oh. All right, I'm done. That was truly great. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> God damn it, Ryan. It's better than light beers. Ah, see what you did there. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Elon Musk announced his um his mission, his plans, his his detailed agenda on going to Mars, and that happened on the twenty seventh, which was just a few days ago. And man, uh, I hope you guys tune into it. Literally, I watched the entire hour and a half segment, and then I watched the hour and a half Q and A that followed it. So I know probably more than I need to about it, but um, I'm super stoked about going to Mars. I don't I don't know what it is that that I'm so excited about, but hearing this plan. Um, you know, this guy is notorious for having failed timelines and botched uh, rocket launches and landings and whatnot, which is all very exciting. But the fact that he, he is he is doing it and is um, is pushing this this leg forward is something to be said. You know, Velcro came from the space program. I mean, people don't understand how many different things came from a need of developing what was used to put to put. God-fearing Americans and, and worldwide individuals into space. People ask me all the time, you know, why do you love space so much? It's not that I, I love space; it's that you have to you have to love the the adventure. You love the 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 reach for it and the the thought that us little tiny specks here on this little rock that's orbiting through the the galaxy are only so large, but our reach can be so much larger with with thinkers and and innovations like this. And they don't only help us to get to the stars and other planets, but they also help us to find ways to solve problems in our everyday lives. So, so I love it. Did, did you guys, let's get a roll check. Did you guys go through and actually do your homework? Did anybody look this up? Last man's got a yes. Ryan yes. looked it up. Dano. All right. Let's have some good conversation. So I've got the, I've got the top like five points out of this, but overall, let me just run through the gamut. Dane, kick us off. What what did you think? I mean, he, first off, Elon is never a good presenter. He's always he stutters. He talks. He has yeah. awkward pauses. He points to things that aren't always there, uh, you know. But he's <laughs> humble and he's honest and he's real, and that's part of his presentation. Being a psychology, you know, kind of PR guy, I understand that. But what do you think, man? Dane, kick us off with the overall presentation. Yeah. So overall presentation, like you said, the the presentation itself, you know, it, it's hit and miss, which is fine. I felt like there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of information. Uh, wishing, hoping, yeah. thinking. Um, some cool things, though. I like that they're trying to bring, let's say you're to go to space. You know, those rockets stay in space. Right. And then trying to bring the rockets back and reuse them, I think, I think it's a cool idea. And I think they should really start with that. First, and I, I know SpaceX is kind of doing that already, and I think they may have been successful once. I'm not sure. Out of out of four <laughs> launches, they but, were successful one time, and that's the most expensive piece. And this is only the four that they've yeah. tried. Now, this is say there's four. Yeah. Ten years from now, there'll be a hundred. You know what I mean? But they've the most yeah. expensive piece is firing that one time shot up there to get out of our atmosphere, and then it's gone, and it never comes back. If his plan was initially, and I, I don't want to walk down the path of of really getting into this until we get into these bullets but the most expensive piece is acquiring that 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 launch vehicle back and using it again so we all saw the video where it came and crashed and crashed and crashed <laughs> but the fourth time they barely had enough money to do it yeah. and it landed and so now we've got a formula that we can execute to make it to make it you know sustainable but go ahead continue on I'm, i didn't mean to cut you off yeah so i kind of 
think back to when Richard Branson from Virgin was like, yeah, we're going to be flying in space. People will be flying in space in 2007. That's fine. You know, it's 2016 now, and we haven't quite got there. And to me, it's, you know, how many people are involved? How many people want to be involved? You know, you have our small group. Donnie, I know you, you like the, the exploration thing about it. But how many people are actually like, yeah, I'm going to Mars? Yeah. And the numbers, the amount of money, the things that will go into it, I'm not 100% sure about. There's a lot of information he kind of threw at us. A lot of things about like going to Jupiter. It's like, well, let's get to Mars first. <laughs> let's let's do that. And then we can start thinking about freaking Jupiter, which is, you know, how far away. So, yeah. And, and our thing is, you know, how long is it going to take to get there? There's a lot of variables. And I'm really not sure. It, it's cool information. It's cool to think about. It's, you know, you could dream about it. But once it comes time to actually doing it, you know, how old are you? Are you still alive? Um, a lot of things go into it. So, you know, I'm kind of up in the air, optimistic. And most. We see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Lossman, what do you got to say about that? Oh boy. Um, well, I think it's, I think it's great. You know, you're 100% correct. The, the guy does not do a good presentation. Uh, that was, that was a little, a little brutal, but, uh, you know, a huge fan of, uh, of calling your, your jet propulsion system there a Raptor. Cause you know, uh, you know, it's just big points. Yeah. You know, big points in terms of dinosaur naming, but, uh, you know, I like the, the ambitious timeline of, you know, when these, how, how quickly these trips can be um, to and fro. Um, I really like how he's, you know, like you mentioned, he's had you know, four launches and three failures. He's like, let's just do this a lot more, guys. He's like, <laughs> you know, over time, he's like, we can get a lot more potential successes. So, I mean, that's all great. Um, you know, there's the, the spirit airlines of space travel sounds really wonderful. If you could just make it super economic and uh, you know a lot less reliable, <laughs> I mean, you know, by the numbers, you know, he's bound to win. But it, it does sound really, really cool to go to space. I just, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly jumping in line there. I think, uh, I think it'd be great to just Skype people. <clears throat> <laughs> well, yeah, of course, you know, I'm sure you'll be able to do that once we get some internet out there in that, that Mars. I heard the reception's a little shoddy at the moment. Um, the Wi-Fi, yeah, Mister uh, Mister Ryan, just give me your top level thoughts, and we can kind of dive into the the nitty gritty here. Yeah, um, you know, overall presentation, I'm I'm with uh, Laos and, and Dane on that, but um, I, I kind of went a little bit past the the concept of them going and, and to and fro, and I, I really like the idea of the retractable or the the part of that rocket that comes back to the to the ground and takes off again. Um, and really quick too. I think he said within 20 minutes or something like that, which I thought was really cool. But what I focused in on was his idea and the comparison that he made between earth and Mars and how close we are, not just in proximity. I think it was like 200 and some odd thousand miles or something, but, uh, which I mean, for some people we, we drive that in our cars in like 15 years. So that's not too bad if you really think about it. But, um, the, the pressure, the, you know, uh, I think it was like, 
uh, hundred on earth, like every hundred pounds compared to like every 38 pounds. So like we would be lighter if we lived on there or if you feel lighter. I thought that was pretty cool. But then he talked a little bit deeper and he was talking about controlling the atmosphere in certain ways or like causing the, or playing on the pressure there. And, and ultimately over time, creating, uh, you know, water and, and, you know, forests and greenery and all these other things, which part of me was like, well, why can't we just let him just take over earth and, and, and do that here and help <laughs> repair everything that's wrong with the, uh, with, with earth, earth and whatever. But at the same time, I thought that that was like, okay, now I see a picture beyond just growing a city in the middle of Mars. He wants to create an atmosphere. He wants to create a second earth. And I thought that that was where I could maybe buy into the idea, but I don't see that actually happening in my lifetime. So yeah. that well, was my thought process. So, and that brings up so many, so many different pieces of this thing. But um, again, looking at it from a high level, I've got a, a couple of different points if you can kind of break this down and, and everybody's kind of touched on different ones then. But the idea that I'm a big plan guy and I feel like my, my life is an anarchy if I don't have like an absolute plan as to where we're going to go, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And it gives me anxiety, keeps me up at night, things like that. But when you hear this plan from him, he's not saying, hey, tomorrow we're just going to throw some people in a bus and jet them up there to Mars. He's got he's got a strategic plan like any good businessman would ending with the end result of going to Europa and going to the moons of Jupiter and these other places, but using Mars as a hub or using these, you know, interstellar kind of um, refueling stations to get us there. So we'll kind of go into that, but I, I just have to admit that I really love the, I love the plan and I love the determination. I like the, the pieces that he's putting in line there. So, so it, it, of course it's, it's, you know, it's really outlandish and it's very far away, but, at the same time, we're putting pieces in line as early as 2018, 2019, 2020 to get us there. So I think it's very cool. Um, the, the other cool thing about this guy and the way that he thinks about stuff, keep in mind, Elon Musk is the guy that founded PayPal, right? I mean, so it, he's all about the volume and he's always been about the volume. And over time, volume drives down the cost. That's what PayPal was all about. You, everybody gives 2% and I make a quadrillion dollars. You know, we make we make this this car company that's electric, sure, because electric batteries are so expensive. And yeah, we can do a great job, but let's make a gigafactory that can make batteries. The same thing for your new car that you're going to buy for me, but at this much cost because we're pumping out a hundred thousand of them every month or whatever it may be. I mean, this guy's got a lead foot, and I just really think it's an interesting concept because he really feels that over time volume will do that. And how do you get to that volume? How do you achieve that? It's ultimately through mass production and finding ways to, to, to get around it. So, so it's very interesting. Um, but on the flip side, just on the way back to the, to the house today from work, I was listening to a podcast from D News Plus, And I don't know if you guys listen to that. It's actually a, a, a high school buddy of mine who speaks on that podcast. And also, you might remember the Dominguez family. Um, but Trace, Trace is the Brock's brother. Trace is actually the, the spokesperson or the main, the main host of the D News podcast. And he was tell I was just listening to his latest one today, and it was about it, it was the, it was not the latest thing. It was a week old or so, but it was about evacuating Earth and when we need to do that and how that plan has to come into to to play. And so there's two pieces of this. The first one is Elon's quote from that presentation, and this is what it is, quote unquote. It was basically history is going to uh, go along two different directions. One path is that we stay on Earth forever, and eventually 
over time, there will be an eventual extinction event. The other alternative is that we become a multi-planet species. So there's those two schools of thought where we have two different angles of approach. But at the end of the day, what has been already designated by thousands of scientific professionals, including, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Hawking, we are, we are going to hit capacity where there can only be so many people on Earth for whatever reason that may be. Now, is that stability or, or, or what it may be for food or for real estate? You know, it's, it's one thing, but we're already at 7.1 billion people. If we hit the 9 billion to 10 billion people mark, which we're expected to do well before 2050, we will be at capacity. What, what happens then? And that's going to happen, my friends, in our lifetime. That, that is only 20, 30 years from now. What, what do you think we should do? We have to go outside, right? I mean, we, we physically have to go outside of our own planet. And we're going to do that before any of us die. Yeah, I think, your confidence him, in me. <laughs> I think him beginning this plan and using the resources he has and the money he has. I mean, the guy's worth like $12 billion. So yeah, right. to put it towards something that's important um, to humanity. I think it's a cool thing. Uh, I'm going to say one more thing. Now, with the outer, <laughs> there's something called the Outer Space Treaty. Uh, it prohibits anyone from appropriating territory in space, which means under the current law, SpaceX's Martian colonists would be space pirates. So yeah, woo! I'm, I'm all about I'm all about being a space pirate. So. I'm all about space pirates. Sign me up. <laughs> I love regular pirates. I can't like, wait yeah. to be a space pirate. And it's really like you know who who has law for space? It's it's a little ridiculous. You, you know what? At one point in time, we had to decide who owned the oceans and who owned the United, you know, um, the Americas and who owned, uh, you know, everything. So it's just another it's another way to get there. But it's, it, it should be. And this is I mean, this is literally the last bullet point, but I'll just jump ahead. One of his final statements is that the entire world needs to be involved. Um, he expected, or in his presentation, he stated that we needed about a million people to move to Mars to, inclu- to, to create a long-term civilization plan. A million people. They will all not be from the United States. I guarantee you that. They will no. be from you know, a, a plethora of different areas because SpaceX is not the only organization aiming for Mars. There's, there's several at the moment, hundreds soon, and thousands you know, 10, 20 years from now. So... Um, NASA's doing this. You know, the U.S. Space Agency is, is hoping to send people to Mars by the 2030s. Personally, with the privatization of this kind of an effort, I think it'll be a lot faster than that. But, I mean, yeah, man, it's, it's definitely going to have to be a worldwide thing that happens. Just right. wrapping your mind, wrapping your mind around that, Ron? Yeah, it's just so huge. It's just, you know, I'm not there, I'm, I'm like thinking, I'm like, man, just the thought, the idea... That, that we could even do something like that. I mean, not, not to go too deep, but, you know, I'm going to go back a couple thousand years and back when they used to think the world was flat and then they built boats and they soared out beyond further than they'd ever been. And, you know, you get to where now we're globally connected with electronics and the internet and satellite. And now we're looking and talking about going to, to Mars. I mean, physically building a, a civilization on Mars. It's just... It, overwhelming it's incredible and i just wonder if they're going to have any crap here 
So, <laughs> well, let's, let's do our part to be part of that craft beer movement, not only for the United the United States, not only for the, the ecosystem of the earth, but for a global and worldwide and galactic community. Can we just, can we vow to that, that the Brewmaster Club is the first one to vow to commit a, a member of our, our guild or sector here to the global and galactic improve, uh, improvement of craft beer throughout the galaxy. I think we should do that. We should make the initiative right now. Right here, right now, I am part of that pack. And right we accept, here. We accept donations. It's very expensive to go to space. So expensive. So expensive that at the moment, it would cost you about $10 billion per person to get to Mars. Um, Musk said that he'd like to see that, that number... Well, he said he said he'd like to see that number plummet to um to well under two hundred thousand dollars. They're about the cost of a of a home, you know, nowadays here. And and it's not that people are gonna hitch a ride on on the giant, you know, Dragon X or the or the next spaceship from uh, SpaceX. Um, but those who can afford the cost may, you know, and there's plenty of people that can be be in to do that. And all we need is a, is a couple people here, a couple people there. Um, to really get something like a civilization, you know, moving and to, to make us inter- interplanetary. Um, his direct quote is actually that, you know, quote, not everyone will want to go to Mars. In fact, I think a relatively small number of people from Earth would want to go, but enough would want to go and enough could f- afford the trip to go that it, that it could happen. And this all, you know, hinges on the, um, the rockets being reusable. So, so it's a cool time, man. It's a very cool time. In the uh, in the, the same pocket as those rockets being reusable, um, we already mentioned how most of them are discarded when things go into space. Um, but again, the new rockets that we're developing here through SpaceX, they're going to be fully reusable. So there's two pieces of it. Basically, one that sends a tanker out to space in the upper you know atmosphere of the planet, and then we have that same one that brings it there, comes back down, loads up with people then shoots off again, goes into space, gets refilled, and then takes off to Mars. Um, if he could do that, bring those boosters back, fill them back up, send them back, it could be a constant supply chain of just sending people there every, you know, so often as far as they could. Um, and that would be what we need to get a sustainable community on there. So that's kind of what his plan was. Um, and he's, he's planning to start very soon. In fact, it was as early as 2018 to get the first uncrewed mission to Mars and then subsequent missions, you know, after that. And it was a it was a very rough timeline. Um, but in the timeline that must provided in his speech, people would start flying via SpaceX by 2024. And then eventually the company, you know, long term, so there'd be a thousand spaceships in there uh, in the upper atmosphere that are waiting to take wow. people to Earth, each one with 100 to 200 people you know, heading off to, to Mars. And that could, you know, take as little as 40 to, to 100 years to really actually colonize Mars as a, as a new Earth. So it's just crazy, man. But I, I just thought that was really relevant and because it just happened a few days ago. Um, you know, did you, all, did you all have any thoughts on that? Dane, you want to kick us off? Yeah, uh, I'm just uh, touching on on one thing that Ryan said. I'm really glad. Well, Ryan said, you know, if this guy's pl- got these type of plans for Mars, you know, what what could he do with Earth? I'm really glad he's not in control of Earth because I'm pretty <laughs> sure he'd be slingshotting the Bahamas all over the place, and <laughs> only one of those islands is going to land safely at this point in time. Yeah, so, right. If we have four. 
<laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I think that's 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 pretty cool, man. A hundred up there would be, uh, you know, it's pretty be pretty neat to see some movies come true, you know, in our lifetime. <laughs> just spaceships flying around out there. As long as we don't run into space bugs, I think we'll be all right. You want to see Alien come true or Martian? Which <laughs> which one? I don't, I don't see, see Alien. Come, I don't want to see Alien come true at all. Ever. No. Mission to Mars. How about that one? Uh, I'd rather see movie, uh, Interstellar come true because uh, you know just just watching Matthew McConaughey push all those books off the wall would be pretty funny all the time. <laughs> just yeah. uh, <laughs> as a dad, that was one of the saddest movies I've ever seen in my life. I we bawled our eyes out here on the couch, man. Dan, you had that baby. Never gonna see her again. Dan, you have that baby of yours, and you watch that movie, you'll cry too. You'll be like, "Oh my god, why would I ever want to go to space?" Ah. Yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's the one I'm gonna watch. Well, so that brings up a totally different argument, but again, it was part of that D plus. I'm telling you, that D plus podcast is really good um, from Discovery and. Trace was talking about time travel in that aspect. And so I don't know if you guys ever thought about it, but there, we have all these satellites that are kind of rotating around Earth and they keep our GPS in, right? So you can find where the local Roman place is or how to, how to get to your fastest way around traffic to your job. Well, every one of those satellites every day is, is 0.00015 time, you know, in terms of seconds, moving faster than we are here on earth. So we move at a slower rate than they do in space. So then every day, those clocks have to get basically reset to the earth time to make sure that they are, you know, still on par with what we've got going on. Multiply that time, something that may be orbiting around the sun or something that's so much larger. The spacemen, the, the astronauts that we send up into space, there was a gentleman, Kelly, you know, Commander Kelly that was just up there for a whole year. His twin brother was down here on earth. And when he came back, he was 0.01 seconds older than his twin brother. So that relates me back to the interstellar conversation where if we could literally, if we become these masters of the universe that we have these spacecraft that are out there and they're able to go into, you know, interstellar space where we're, we're talking past our, our local solar system, just imagine what we could do when we start to understand the dynamics of that time flux and really, doing some of those outlandish things that Matthew McConaughey did in that movie. I mean, it's, it's pretty neat that you could, you could honestly fathom that. And we know nothing about that now, but just imagine if we could, the sky's imagine, the limit. <laughs> I imagine Kelly is doing a lot of cutsies in front of his brother. Now that he's slightly older. <laughs> I, mean, know, I, I almost, I almost want to just think about, you know, trying to, you know, bypass colonization of, of Mars for a second, but, you know, how far can we reach out there? How far can we send something out there? I think that, like, with people on it, I think that would be a cooler uh, thing to add to this whole discussion. And like you said, using Mars as an outpost, maybe that would be a good deal, too. We'd have and to have gas stations everywhere. We'd have to have fuel there you stations. Go. We'd have to have one on Jupiter and Neptune and keep going. You know, we'd have to. I mean, maybe, maybe this is the start of something really incredible. And maybe, you know, a it couple hundred years from now, you know, p far past our, our lifetimes, we'll see, well, we won't see everything unfold. But if we start moving in that direction now, I mean, it is incredibly awesome to, to, to think about. It's freaking awesome. I just, I just want my Millennium Falcon right now. 
Yeah. Why, well, why can't I jump the higher space? You're going to have to wait till your next life to get that one there, buddy. <laughs> Dane, you look like you're, well, you're pondering something, yeah. Donnie, we're just, we're just waiting for you, you know, entrepreneur extraordinaire, to, to come up with the next PayPal so you can make $12 billion. So yeah. we can all – you can just build your own damn Millennium Falcon, and we'll, we'll – I'll be your crew, man. I'll be your first mate. What's up? <laughs> Chewy. <laughs> yeah no it's um it's a very cool time and it's just a, it's a neat time to to be alive and around with this kind of stuff thinking about it even just talking about it so i mean we could literally go on for hours and i have you know buckets more that we could talk about but but it is neat and um and ryan to your point you know i think it's the voyager who is who is literally within the next year or so we'll be leaving our solar system and be into the, the heading towards the next one, which happens to be, you know, light years and light years away. But we launched that bad boy in the 70s, and it's still trucking faster than it ever has, reporting back to us as much as it can and right. as much information as it can. And it is now on the opposite side of Pluto, the old planet, you know, from now. So just, just imagine, give it 10 years, man. Is that thing still firing? The shit that we'll see from that, it, it'll blow your mind. But, but, yeah, it's insane, it's man. So, like I said, we can get in that for hours, but I think we've, uh, I think we've already ran up our time here. So, um, it was pretty detailed stuff. I mean, that was pretty lengthy combo, guys. Sorry for that one. Uh, it's all good. It's all good stuff, man. <laughs> it's hey, just that, a good conversation, boys. Yeah, it was just um, that was so timely. It was so so relevant and so you know close to us, and it's all stuff that I love talking about. So, um, why tune in next week? Well, there, there's some stuff coming up. I don't know if you guys saw it. I went to um, I got a, a VIP uh, session with the um, PlayStation 4 Ocean Descent uh, VR experience. I know we talked talk to you guys about that on the text, but man, check it out. If you want to try it out for yourself, head into a Best Buy between now and January and you can actually try it out. Sit down, put on the VR headset. Um, it is really awe-inspiring, but I challenge you if you do get a chance to, to really explore it, you know, reach around, uh, talk about it, kind of lean over, really explore the scenario because it is it is amazing. It's very immersive with the sound and the way they have it set up. It is a it is a very unique experience, and you don't have to do anything with your hands, so you have plenty of room to drink a beer if they let you do that in the store. Um, but we actually <laughs> we we had my my experience is actually up on our YouTube channel right now, so please take a look. Um, leave us a comment in there. We'd love to start some dialogue about that. What you think about that? What you think about VR? If you've done the Oculus thing, um, I've played a couple different games on that uh, PlayStation 4 VR. I'm really stoked for it. It's going to make me get a PlayStation and a uh, VR, I'm sure. Um, but if you get a chance to do it, try it out. This podcast will be up um, here shortly, but we also have my, my Disney Star Wars experience um, from a couple weeks ago. So we will get that up as well. Um, and then always, you know, give us a shout out, uh, if you can on social media, um, we can, you can reach me at the brewmasters club on Facebook's, uh, Twitter and, uh, YouTube, uh, also Instagram. So please we'll accept anything. If you want to contribute some content to the show, it's at, or it's hashtag brewmasters club cast. We'd be, we'd love to take your questions, like take your, um, your comments, what you want us to talk about, things like that. Um, guys, did you have any further comments before we give our final sign offs? Anything? Anything at all? We're good to go. Solid. Well, Dane, where can they find you? you? Guys can find me on the Twitterverse. Excellent. Mr. Lousman, where can they find you, sir? Uh, they can find me at Mr. Lousman. <laughs> Excellent. 
And Rye Guy. You guys can find me on Twitter at BroodBoy813 and uh, look forward to some questions and uh, I'll respond to them. Don't worry. I've not had one yet, so it'll be easy to find you. Oh, no, right. <laughs> well, I know your, your Twitter handle is pretty new, so people are probably just trying to figure out if you're, uh, if you're a bot or not. If I'm a real person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, please do uh, give us a, a follow. Give us a like. If, you, if you're listening to us on SoundCloud, thank you. We appreciate you guys. I think last I checked, we had about 55 followers on, on SoundCloud. We're such a very new podcast, so we just really love you guys. You're the best. Um, if you're following us on Amazon, or excuse me, on um, Apple or Google Play, Give us a like, throw us a review, be honest about, you know, what you find out. And if we can, if we can improve our, what we're talking about, our content or, our, you know, our pieces of discussion, we'd love to. Um, but we are always about the community driven piece and that's what funds and fuels us. So we appreciate you guys. If you have the ability to, and you shop on Amazon, click the link below. Somehow the wizards at Amazon give us a few bucks every time somebody buys something and ships it through our link below. So please, you don't have to give us any money. Just do your Amazon shopping and click the link below. We love you guys. Have a great night, everybody. Drink some beer, drink local, and, um, and have a good one. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Brewmasters Club, craft brews and geek news. Grab a beer with the guys and be sure to subscribe to catch additional content. Add this podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. Chat with the guys on Twitter at Brewmasters Club and Facebook and online at www.brewmasters.club. Cheers. <laughs>